a series called Go Eat Popcorn. Uh, it's named that so you remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. That's our hope is that that, that will just sort of uh, settle in you. Uh, and that in these four letters that Paul wrote to the churches, there's amazing foundational truths for our walk, things that we need to know in order to experience the full and abundant now and forever life that Jesus came for us to have. And the, the first three chapters in Ephesians that we've read, because we've been in Ephesians now, we did a Galatians, um, Paul talks a lot about who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ, that we need to know that and get settled in that. And he, he talks about the church and that, that we are the church individually and corporately. Uh, and so... Um, Church isn't something that we do. Church is something that we are. You are the church. Before you came here this morning, when you were at your house, you were the church. When you came to this facility, now you're the church gathered together. You're the corporate church. When you leave again, when we're done, again, you'll still be the church. You're the church on mission in the world around us. Uh, And there's something about understanding that that um, helps us to experience life. We're the church 24-7. That's who we are. And, and so individually and corporately, knowing that we have one another is huge. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were sitting in the front row. You might, my wife and I usually sit up in that front row. We have, we're blessed with seven grandchildren. So I know and you, you, when I say that, the first thing you think is, you look way too young, right? <laughs> but it's okay. So, <laughs> so, seven, so, uh, we had picked up um, three of my my daughter's kids were with us, and uh, so Alice and I and the three kids were in that in those four chairs, and we were we were all kind of you know settled in waiting for church, and then one of my other grandchildren from my son's side, Reed, uh, he comes and he he goes up because Nana is famous for having little bags of um, those. Uh, gummy bear things. So the, the kids all come up. They know Nana's good for a gummy bear, right? And he came up and he grabbed a bag of gummy bears. And then he looked and he said this. And he, he, talk, he talks, you know, he's, he said, my spot. And we kind of looked at him. He's like, my spot. He wanted to get in there in that tiny little space and be a part of the family to eat his gummy bears. And I thought, you know, that's so cool that he was saying that because I, I think there's significant there. See, all of us need to know that there's a there's a safe place where we can go and eat our gummy bears, Right. That's the church. You're, you're the church when you're by yourself. But you're the church now and there's something about it that you need to understand. And we just need a place to, to sit and be safe and be a part. And, and that's what the church is all about. So Paul starts with that. And then in, in chapters 4 and 5 of Ephesians, he talked about you know living this life, walking this out, and what that looks like. And then today we'll look at chapter 6 where he talks about the struggle from doing all those things happens. And that there's a very real spiritual battle taking place in the process. So that's the intro transition. These are these are very bad jokes. I'm very, very pleased with them. I read in the news about a man who survived a Kodiak bear assault with just a small caliber 22 pistol. Sadly, the friend he shot in the knee was not as fortunate. It's wrong, but I like it. There's something wrong with me. I know that. This is a nerd joke. I asked the librarian if she had a book about Pavlov's dog and Schrodinger's cat. She said it rang a bell, but she wasn't sure if it was there or not. If you don't understand it, Google it. It'll be worth your time. Pavlov Schrodinger. Okay, good. Last one. That's this kind of more of a thought than a joke. If, if number two pencils are so popular, why are they still number two?
I like that. Scripture reading here on purpose. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And blessed be the word of the Lord. So, uh, Paul is telling us, with, with his whole idea of the armor of God, that, that as we live this life out, as we walk this life out, individually and, and corporately, that we can't do it in our own strength. We're, we're in a spiritual battle, and, and we will need his armor in order to really experience the life that he's called us to. And so let's talk for a moment about the armor of God. That's point one, number one in your notes, the armor of God. Now, a couple of years ago, if you were here, if not, you might have missed it, but I did a, uh, a series on every piece of the armor of God. It's called Living Invitations. It's online. And from verse, uh, chapter, uh, lessons four through ten, I discussed in detail the armor and how important it was uh, in, in our lives. And the armor of God is amazing. It's an amazing gift that God has given us. And I encourage you then, and I've been encouraging you since, and will still encourage you, it's something that you should be praying on every day. You should actually be taking time every day, I do it every morning, to pray on the armor of God. We've got wristbands that we've had out there for the last couple of years, and I keep mine, and it says I got my armor on, and I wait until I've prayed that morning, to put the armor on, after I've prayed, I put the, the wristband on, and it lets me know I've done it. And then I think about it, because it's on my wrist, I'll think about it throughout the day. And you say, why is it so important? Here's the thing. To me, it's this great reminder of the fact that uh, there's a bigger story going on than just me. And that the busyness of our days, the, the sort of routine of our days, has a tendency to put us back in the center of the story. And there's no life there. But that's what sort of happens as we go. You know, things start to happen and we, we get overwhelmed or we get busy and it sort of becomes really more about us than anything else. But when you realize, and it helps me realize that I'm always part of his story, his much bigger, his much greater story. He's, he's invited me into that. That keeps me in a different spot and, and there's where I experience life. And so the reality that there's a battle going on, uh, sort of, uh, and me being aware of it, helps me to, to keep him in the center of the story because that's where life really works. And so it's a great reminder for us because I, I, I can't speak for you. I have a tendency to slip back into my old nature pretty quickly, into that sinful sort of, it's all about me. You know, my joke with you continually is I see it every time that I drive, and I do. And, and, uh, but that I see it in other things too. That's just a sort of a reminder we can all get to. But, but when I realize that, that it's a bigger story, it sort of helps me keep focused on Jesus, and it's where I find life. Now, Paul, he lists the armor, uh, and as I said, I'm not going to detail it, but, but uh, 
it's fascinating. He, he writes the, this letter. Most likely he's got a, a guard chained to him at some point. Or he's under Roman guard. So he's looking at this Roman guard who's got all this armor. And he starts listing the armor. But he's talking about parts of the armor that, that are happening in the Old Testament. He's, he's likening things to things that we understand in the Old Testament. Like the belt of truth is found in Isaiah 11.5. Righteousness will be his belt. And faithfulness the sash around his waist. And then the, um, the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness are also in Isaiah. Isaiah 59, 17. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. Also, we see the verse about our feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's in Isaiah 52 and verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. The shield of faith is in Proverbs 30 and verse 5. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And finally, the sword of the spirit is in Deuteronomy 33. 29 and following. Uh, Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you and you will tread on their heights. And see, what I think is cool about that is that you read that, you see that that every piece of this armor uh, that we see in the Old Testament um, it, you can see the Lord in each piece of the armor. And so by putting on the armor of God, in effect, what we're doing is, is us saying we're putting our faith in God and not in ourselves. We're going to rely on his strength and not on our own. And there's a great story about this in the Old Testament. Most of you have seen it uh, and, or you've read it in the past. And it's the story of David and Goliath. So that's point number two. So, so you, you'll know the story, but there's some fascinating things that are going on in this story. And so let's just talk about it a little bit. Uh, all of it's going to happen in First Samuel, First uh, Samuel chapter 17. But this story starts with David. He's a he's a young shepherd boy. The um, he is sent by his father to go and check on his brothers. His older brothers are in the army uh, of of Israel, uh, the army of God, if you would. And they're at a uh, standstill because they've been challenged by the Philistine army. In effect, by their biggest and baddest warrior, a guy named Goliath. Goliath, who's been a warrior since his youth, is just, he's fearful to behold. He's, uh, he's over nine feet tall, nine foot six. He's, he's massive and he's scary. And what he's doing is he's, he's coming out uh, and standing in front of the Philistine army and he's challenging the army of God. And he's saying, listen, let's not have everybody involved in this. Uh, just send out one of your guys and he and I will fight. You send out your best guy. We're going to have a battle. Whoever wins, wins. And that's uh, how it's going to work. And it's going to be better. Well, He's, he's so massive that everybody's scared of him. And nobody on the side of the army of, of God will step up to fight against him. And this has been going on for 40 days when David shows up. Let me read you the verse. 1 Samuel 17, 4 through 8. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels on his legs. He wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft 
was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. So there's the challenge. There's the threat. You sort of have the picture now. Now, when David shows up, he can't believe that this has been going on for 40 days. He said, what, there's nobody who, who's willing to take a stand uh, against the, this Philistine and make something happen? And you, you can hear his contempt in 1 Samuel 17:26. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David's uh, comment makes its way back to Saul, who's the king. And so Saul wants to talk because they've been in a standstill. He wants to talk to David and see, you know, why he's talking like that. And, and the deal is that the David is going to talk to Saul, but his confidence is not in himself. His confidence is in the Lord's ability. First Samuel seventeen thirty-two. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 36, your servant, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So. What happens then is that Saul tries to put on his armor. He takes his armor off and he puts it on David. He says, well, you, we need you to win this, kid. So uh, I'm going to give you the best that we got. I'm going to put my armor on you. You need to go out there. You need to win this battle. And at least somebody is stepping up to the challenge because it's been going on for so long. And so David puts on Saul's armor, but it doesn't fit him right. He says, I can't wear this armor. I'm not going to go with this to battle. And the reason is, if you, you need to catch this, is that he already has the armor of God on. He's already trusting in God's ability. He's already trusting in God's strength. He understands that man's armor isn't going to do him any good. He's not going to trust in Saul's armor or Saul's strength. And so he's got the armor of God on in this process. And so he gathers his five little stones and he goes out to meet Goliath. Goliath is, is furious that they sent a little boy out to battle him. He, this is, and he, he just sort of rains down curses and he calls on his false gods and he tells David, I'm just make mincemeat of you and the entire army uh, of God today. And, and I love David's response. David said to the Philistine, verse 45, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. It's a great thing that happens. And then you know that David goes into battle and he defeats Goliath, uh, Goliath with a single slingshot, takes him down, and Goliath is done, and the battle is over. And, and, and see, we need to know that in this spiritual battle that we're engaged in, we always rely on God's power, not our own. We, we don't want to go into this thing in our own strength. To me, that's the whole idea of this armor. It keeps me knowing that I'm a part of a bigger story and that, that I'm living this life in Him, that He's invited me into His story 
But it's in His power, it's in His strength, it, it's in, in His way that I find life. It's following after Him. And, and so we, we settle in that and we rest in that. And then there's something fascinating in those verses. Um, remember I told you, I've been telling you throughout this series, when you read the Scripture, you need to be looking for Jesus. From beginning to end, Old Testament, New Testament, look for Jesus. It's His story. He's in there. And there's things that happen. And I said last week, the first three chapters of Genesis, they really set the stage. And the last three chapters of Revelation, everything is tied up. But the middle of the story, there's all these neat things that have happened and are happening because the story of the church is still ongoing. And so even though there's an end, these things are still happening in the middle. That's why they matter. But as you read, to look for these things that tie it together. And I've suggested to you the idea... Uh, from Genesis 3.15, it's called the crimson thread of redemption. So Genesis 3.15, it's not in your notes, but it says, God is talking to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That from Genesis 3.15, you can watch this amazing thread of redemption that runs throughout the scripture to the cross. It's fascinating. And it's weaved throughout that story. And if you're reading a story like we read today, and you're thinking about those sort of things when you read, you'll see that that something kind of happens in that story that's pretty cool. When you see Goliath come out, the enemy, he's dressed in an armor, but if you caught it when I read it, it's armor, it's a scale armor. His, his armor has scales on it. What else has scales on it? Serpents have scales. It's a picture. And then what's that promise is that, that the, the, Jesus is going to crush the enemy's head. How does David defeat Goliath? Crushes his head with a rock. See, it's a picture of this story that's in there. And those things happen throughout the scripture. I mean, it's constant. And you need to be looking for them as you read. For this reason... Too many people today want to take this book apart and say, oh, it's just a bunch of other books. They don't, they, oops, they don't really tie together and, and they don't really mean much. Uh, and, you know, they, they, they lessening and lessening the power of the word of God in them. But this amazing book that's been written over a couple of thousand year period, 66 books, 40 separate authors, all inspired by the Holy Spirit. God has given us this story that runs from beginning to end complete and, and, and amazing and filled with all sorts of uh, um, his movement towards us and his love for us. You're not to read it like a rule book, but this love letter of, look, this is what I've done for you and, and how much I love you. And it's throughout the scripture. And when you read it like that, it comes to life and it, it makes it exciting to read it. He wants it so that you look forward to reading it. Like what nugget is there for me today? Holy Spirit, will you show me what I need to see? And that's how he wants you to read the scripture in that way. So we wanted to tie that together. And then uh, last few minutes, I want to talk about point number three, the schemes of the evil one. So knowing that we're in a spiritual battle, that this is something that we're part of, um, allows us to understand that the enemy is a schemer. He, he, he's a deceiver. He's trying to keep you off balance. And he, and he doesn't want you to experience life. In Ephesians 6.11, it says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So I've told you this, that the enemy, his, his first and primary thing is he tries to keep people trapped in darkness. He, he wants people that aren't believers to stay that way. And so he, he spends a lot of time keeping people stuck in the darkness. But when we understand the good news, when we hear the gospel, we understand what Jesus has done for us because our sins have separated us from God, but God has made a way for us in Christ to be reconciled by going to the cross, as it was written in the scriptures, dying and then rising again according to the scriptures, that when we hear the gospel and we respond to it in faith, we're rescued from darkness to light. But 
the, the enemy hasn't finished with us yet. So we're saved, we're God's, but what he wants now is, is he wants to keep us from experiencing life the way Jesus has for us because when we're really experiencing this life that he has for us, it impacts everybody, including us, but it impacts everybody around us. It's a witness, it's a testimony to who God is and the amazing love and power of God in our lives. And the enemy doesn't want you living like that because he, he doesn't want anybody else coming from darkness to light. And so he uses a couple of schemes against you. And you might find this helpful. He uses uh, several, but two major ones. One of them is temptation, and the other is accusation. And let me just tell you how they work, because I, I think it'll help you in the process. So when the evil one tempts us, in effect, what he's doing is he, he wants us, he's crafty, to look at the grace and the mercy of God and to elevate that above the holiness and the righteousness and the judgment of God. Remember, we're in attention and God is all those things. So he gets us looking this way. And, and he, he sort of tells us, you know, you've been, you've been so good and, and you're, you're a good person. And I really should, you know, you start thinking, I, I, I really should be able to do some of these things. I think it's going to make me happy. And then you can justify it. And you go, hey, God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? And the answer to that is, of course, he wants you to be happy, but not if you have to sin in order to get there. That's never the heart of God. He wants you to be happy by experiencing the amazing life that he has for you. But the enemy will try and flip those things. And then the accusation comes and the accusation is the exact opposite. The accusation is when the enemy holds up the the holiness and and the righteousness and the judgments of God and downplays the grace and mercy. And he comes at you and he says things like, who do you think you are? God is holy and perfect and wonderful and you're not. You do all these terrible hard things. Why would you think that you could possibly be a child of God and that, that he would love you and that he could use you or any of those things? And so we get stuck there, too. And, and both of those things, if we, if we allow either one of those things to have control over us, what it does is it takes away our witness in the world. We get stuck. We, we can't move under the accusation. We, we, we're not living uh, the way we should when, when we're moving into temptation. And so that's how the enemy keeps us off balance. See, because, see, Paul knows, I'm sure the enemy knows too, the, the church is the hope of the world. It's us. We're the body of Christ. They, they need to know Jesus. And they they meet him by and large as we're living this thing out to the best of our ability. Not pretend, not fake. We don't always get it right. But, you know, we will still choose to go and do things that we shouldn't. And we know we can run back to the Father and we we confess that, which means, God, you were right, I was wrong. And and God says, I love you so much, now go and do the next right thing. And we we start again. You you hold that intention. But it's, it's keeping all of this idea of who God is in balance. And understanding that what's trying to rock all that is the enemy. He's trying to mess that up. So, so you come to him every day. Please think about that. Let's just put on that armor. Take, take a, a couple of minutes every morning. I, I, just, I, I do it this simply. Lord, I, I put on the belt of truth. I think about it as I do it. Lord, I, I put on your righteousness, the blessed breastplate of righteousness. Not my own, but yours. Lord, my feet, they're yours. I prepare them for the gospel of peace, the shoes of peace. Lord, I take up the shield of faith. So I can extinguish the, the, all the stuff that the enemy one throws at me. The enemy throws at me. The, the helmet of salvation, God, I put in place. And I take up the sword of the Spirit. And so, God, I can stand then throughout the course of this day. Just take a moment. Pray that on every day. It will change your life. And, and it keeps us in his story instead of moving off into our own. Amen? Ministry team, those here, why don't you head over to the wall? People on the way over to that wall are here to pray for you. And uh, if you need prayer for anything... They'll make sure you get it.
Let me pray for you as a group, and then we can dismiss and have breakfast. Papa, thank you so much for your amazing love for us. You are an awesome, awesome, awesome God. Thank you for the life that you've given us. Thank you for this love that you have for us. And God, help us to understand that there's a very real battle going on, but that you are strength, you're our power, and we can trust in you. And God, help us to to live in a way that impacts the world around us for you. Bring renewal, revival, and breakthrough this area that hundreds and thousands of people would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray again this morning for every church in this area, God, where your word is preached. We ask, God, you would bless them abundantly with everything they need to fulfill the mission you've given them. We ask for your continued abundant blessing on us, God, to fulfill the mission you've given us of one more. Just one more lost child back to you, Dad. Just one more. Thank you so much for including us in your story here in this time and place. You're such an awesome, awesome God. If you need prayer this morning for anything, the folks over there pray for you. Healing, relationships, problems, finances, situations, whatever. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let's take care of that today too. It's humility and faith. In humility, it's just admitting to God you're broken like all the rest of us here. You've sinned. Asking Him to forgive you, which He'll do. And then in faith... Inviting and accepting Jesus into your heart and life as Lord and Savior. If you've never prayed a prayer like that, do it now. Best decision you will ever make. If you need help, go over there and ask somebody. Say, I, I want to know Jesus. He'll know exactly what you mean. He'll help you with that prayer. So if you need prayer for that or anything today, I encourage you to get it. If you're going to stay and have breakfast, or thank you for the food you provided. Bless that. Everybody that makes it possible, draw people in for the 11 o'clock service, God so they can hear about your amazing love for them as well. You are awesome. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. bless and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace and go today in the peace, the power and the love of God. God bless you all. Remember, be thankful for five things. Encourage two people so we can get one lost child back to dead. Prayers over there. Breakfast to be in the back. As you go, drive safely. Be kind to one another out there in the parking lot. Love each other well. If you're going fishing, catch some fish. If your team's playing, I hope they win. If, you're, if your driver's driving, I hope he drives well and wins and all that stuff. See you later. Bye.